right, so if you haven't figured out today, uh, we're uh, here for a, a special uh, event, actually. I mean, we're always here to worship God, but what makes today kind of really special is that uh, Zane, Lowry, and Seth, notice I wrote them down so I don't confuse you guys today. You can see how easy it is to confuse these two, okay? But uh, Zane, Lowry, and Seth Moran, they're getting ordained into the gospel ministry. And, and really, um, what, what that means is that as a body of believers, we've already seen the gifts in their life. We've, we're going to teach about the qualifications. And so if at the end of this, you believe that they have that gift of preaching and teaching and they have met the moral qualifications of being that leader, that spiritual leader, then, man, we're going to sign a certificate. We're going to lay hands on them. And you guys, not, not in a bad way or anything, but you guys are going to, uh, man, you're going to validate. That's the church's job is to validate and say there's some people, some men among us who are called into the gospel ministry. And these are some of those. And we validate that. And maybe even through this today, maybe you're going to say, hey, what about that dude? What about this dude? And you know what? It would be awesome to see more men of God be validated into the gospel ministry because this area doesn't have enough churches. I'll tell you that. It, there's not enough churches. There's, this is the most unchurched area in the United States, and, and, and it's an area that needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. And I'm so honored and so grateful that God's brought a couple of those guys into this fellowship and this body of believers, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Um, so first of all, uh, Zane, come on up here for just a second, and Seth, come on up here for a second. And, uh, and actually, we're just going to have your wives come with you just for a second. You wives were dreading that, weren't you, Christy? <laughs> Christy's like, Dad, come here. Just for a minute, because I want you to see who their wives are, because um, my, my wife's actually uh, not here today, but my wife would be the first one to tell you that when you are ordained in the gospel ministry, your wives are right there with you. And because uh, you're strong where he's weak. I already know that, right? And he's, and he's strong where you're weak, and same thing, you're a team, man. Again, strengths and weaknesses, if both of you were the same, one of you is not necessary. And so God puts you together to leave, cleave, and weave, and in through all of this. But not, not a lot's going to change. We're just validating what you guys are already doing, and we're, we're, we're saying, man, we believe this. And so... Uh, it, it just it, now you can marry and bury. You guys are already married, right? Okay, well, okay, marry, but uh, marry, you can marry and bury, man. You can get in, have access into the jails and into the uh, places where where the world says, you know what? We're not just letting anybody. We want somebody with some qualification. We want somebody that somebody else is backing up and saying that this is who they are and this is what they do. And that's what this is for. Now, super quick, you can see both of them are extremely different on the outside, okay? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 and if you know, I have confused them. I have called Seth Zane and Zane Seth numerous times because I see what's on the inside. When I, you know, we have one here that's vertically challenged. You know, we have one that's not. Okay, you see the perspective I'm coming from, right? Yeah, we have one that's loud and one that's quiet. We have one that works outdoors and one that works indoors. I mean, need I go off? We have one from the south and one from the north. I'm just saying. It's like, dude, I could go on and on and on of the differences on the outside. But the reason I confuse these guys is because when I look at these guys, when I'm in Bible study with these guys, when I'm out in the world with these guys and I'm watching them share their hearts and, and helping others see life from God's perspective, they look the same on the inside. Now on the inside, man, they've got a call on their life. They've got a pastoral heart where they love people. How many of you vouch for that, that you've been loved by them? Woo! 
Yeah, dude. Woo! How many of you ever heard them impart wisdom, biblical wisdom into your life? Anybody? Yeah, that's what you're here to do is validate this and sign a paper in case they ever, nobody ever has asked me in 20-something years for my paper. But, <laughs> but I got a little one in my wallet, all right, just in case. But what I'm saying is, man, we're validating this. We're saying that's what we believe these guys are here, and if it helps them by validating it, we want that to happen. But on the inside, man, these guys are full of the Holy Spirit. And they've got the greatest help meets in the world um, to help them be able to do that. And they're full of the Holy Spirit. There's sometimes I'd probably rather be ministered to by Christy than Zane. <laughs> you know? and, and I've heard such wisdom. I've had so, heard such wisdom come out of both Christy and Charlotte. There, there's things I preach that I didn't, I didn't tell you I, I'm quoting them, but, um, but it's there. And, and so, man, I just want you to know what's, uh, what we're doing today is so special and is extremely different as they are on the outside. I want you to know they're so similar on the inside because they embody the fruit of the Spirit. And they both have this call to preach in their lives. And we're going to see that's all that's required for this ordination into the gospel ministry. So uh, how many of y'all commit to be praying for them? As they take this step, and right on, and uh, especially all y'all too. <laughs> and, and by the way, next week um, you're preaching, right? Uh, oh, Zane's preaching next week, and then the week after that, yeah, uh, and then after week after that, Seth will be preaching. And so, uh, if you're like, dude, I never heard, uh, you know, you'll get you'll get the opportunity. So, anyways, um, I'm just so excited what God's doing in your life. You believe God's got God's working in it, man? Just give, give God just say, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's good to So, so again, extremely different on the outside, and I probably am going to confuse the two again because <laughs> again, man, what I'm seeing, and, and it's no disrespect, I'm going to try really hard. I wrote things down for that, like just that last part. <laughs> All right. So, so anyways, on um, again. Uh, Oh, yeah, here's what they have on the inside. I found a quote this past week. I don't share a lot of quotes, but this quote kind of tells me, and it's going to tell you what I see on the inside of these guys. And on the inside of, um, and again, a leader is nothing more than the embodiment of, of what he's trying to teach other folks to do. So if, 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 everybody, if everybody treated people the way Seth treated them, they should be treating them like Christ would treat them. If everybody gave like Zane gives, the church should have what it needs. If everybody served the way Zane served and, and Seth served, then there should be enough people serving. And, 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 and there should be enough of Christ going around. If everybody, there was leaders, they're examples. So check this out. Here's what it takes to really, truly be a spiritual leader. And this is what I've seen in their lives. It's, uh, uh, it is, uh, this is a guy who was part of the original foundation of Salvation Army. It says, uh, spiritual leadership is not won by promotion, but by many prayers and tears. And that's on the part of these guys and their families. It is attained by confession of sin and much heart searching and humbling for God. Hey, Christy, would you testify to that? Yeah, for the past year, man. That's what Zane wanted to be doing, what God wanted him to do. And he's torn in different directions. But the most important thing Zane has wanted, as well as Seth, is, is they wanted to do what God wanted them to do. And, and so sometimes God's got to work on our heart. He's got to direct us and switch our paths and make things like that happen. But it doesn't come easy. It happens with confession of sin after introspection, much heart searching and humbling before God saying, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. By self-surrender, a courageous sacrifice of every idol. You had to give up any idols? 
Man, Zane's always talking. Zane's still trying to throw the TV out of his house. I'm just, <laughs> modern day idol worship. All right, right? And, and a few others. But man, courageous sacrifice of every idol. When God shows you there's something in your life that's bigger than him. Man, you got to get rid of it. Because if you don't get rid of it, how are you going to preach to other people to get rid of it? And if, people, if believers don't get rid of it and you have something bigger than God, then God's not the biggest. And you don't get to represent him the way he wants to be represented here. And man, a bold, deathless, uncompromising, and uncomplaining embrace of the cross, man. And, and, and that is just living for the cross, knowing that, that our, um, uh, this is not our home. Where's our home at, guys? It's heaven. We are here for a short period of time. Again, you hear me say this? I got 100 grains of sand I just pulled off my feet right there. You want to count them, Christy? <laughs> you good? You trust me? All right, 100 grains of sand, man. If that's 100 years of life. Eternity is not even comparable to the rest of the grain on all the sands and all the beaches. And so we're called to serve him as believers when we surrender ourselves to him. It's a surrender. It's his. And then he takes us home to heaven where we're going to live. How long are we going to live there for, Jared? Forever, man, for eternity. And everything's going to be perfect. So, man, we realize, man, these guys realize it's not about this life. This life, man, you're on the clock for Christ. It's about living in this broken world in his, in his power and with his presence and seeing things from his perspective so that as you watch him work, you can grow more in love with him. And then you grow more in love with him. What does it cause you to do, Zane? Grow more in love with others, man. And that's what happens in our lives. And so, man, uh, that's what it's talking about with an uncomplaining embrace of the cross by an eternal, unfaltering, looking into Jesus crucified. It is not gained by seeking great things for ourselves. But rather, like Paul, by counting those things that are gained to us as loss for Christ. That is a great price, but it must be unflinchingly paid by him who would be not merely a, no a nominal, but a real spiritual leader of men. It's all about Jesus. A leader whose power, listen to this, a leader whose power is recognized and felt. How many of y'all recognize and feel the power that you've seen God display through Zane and Seth? Anybody? You've experienced that. Dude, come when they preach next week. It'll happen, dude. I'm telling you. Go sit with them. Go have lunch. It's felt. But look where he says it's got to be felt. It's also felt where? In heaven, on earth, and you've got to share the truth, man, because it's the truth that will save people. And it's not our job to... Talk anybody into anything, convince somebody. We're not lawyers, we're witnesses. We simply share the truth boldly and unflinchingly, as he said. Our responsibility as a body of belief. This is me now. <laughs> no, I'm just, um, for us, as us in here, our responsibility as a body of believers is to validate this call on their lives. That's what we're here to do, okay? But whatever God's calling these leaders to do, is what he's calling them to lead all the rest of us to do, all of y'all to do. That's, that's it. So that's how it's applicable. So as I go through these qualifications, man, and the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, makes something stick out, it's not just, oh, dude, I'm glad that's just Zane and Seth and Pastor Eddie and, and Pastor JJ. Glad that's just for them. No, it's for all of us. This is, how we, this is how we represent God in this broken, dark world right now. And, and Pastor Steve. I got another pastor. And Pastor Ted, right? Any other pastors in here, man? Richard? Dude, we are honored. <laughs> All right. And uh, so this is what we're doing today. 
But listen, the Word of God is going to list some qualifications for us. We don't, as denominations, as churches, and by the way, we're driftwood church at the beach. <laughs> we, don't, you know, we don't have these, you know, get to list our own qualifications as to what we want in a pastor. You know? Otherwise, I think all of them would either be short or they'd all be tall. But, dude, we got them both. No, I'm just like, you know, they'd all be from the south or all from the north. They'd all be, in, you know, again, God gets to use the qualifications. Now, what I want you to notice about these qualifications is that, um, is that it, it's not talking about gifts. There's only one of them that talks about a gift. All of them are talking about moral character because moral character is more important than any gift you have. If you don't have moral character, your gifts go out the window, man. It starts with moral character, and then there's one gift that he does list in there that's unique to pastors, bishops, overseers, and elders we'll talk about. So let's take a look at the qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 is going to be up here, but you can look at it on your phones or in your Bible or wherever you would like to look at this. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop. The Apostle Paul, he um, started, planted the church at Ephesus, okay? And we know that in the book of Revelation, when Jesus addressed the churches, that Ephesus was a, was a church that, man, it was a very prominent church. Dude, it had all the programs, had all the people, it had... It had everything that you could think of that you would ever want in a successful church. And they did a lot of good things. But Jesus said, man, you guys have lost your first what? Love. You're doing all these things, but you're not doing it because you love me. You're doing it because you love your church. You love that ministry. You love that class. You love that location. You love the convenience of this. You love that person. You love this group. He said, you're doing all these things but not because you love me. And so, so when Paul planted the church at Ephesus, things were going good, but as it got going, they lost their first love. And they were no longer doing it because they loved him. And so Paul continually was giving them corrections. And through Timothy, he wrote, wrote two letters that we know of that were correcting letters, because at the time, Timothy was probably the pastor there. And then we know in the book of Revelation, by that time, John, the apostle John was the pastor. And it was probably at Ephesus where he was preaching when he got arrested and put on the island of Patmos and uh, left out there to die after he was boiled by cooking oil and it didn't work. <laughs> and, and, and he had a one-man worship service. So Ephesus is a, has a lot to go, but this is a correction letter to Ephesus to say, look, part of the problem of why things aren't going so good in this church is because of leadership. And it's not because these people don't have the right gifts. This guy's not as good at youth as this guy. And this guy doesn't know how to relate and whatever. It's not all about that. This guy's short and fat. This guy's tall and skinny. No. It's because of moral character and qualifications. So Apostle Paul said, dude, I'm going to give you some qualifications, Timothy. And above everything else, make sure these people you put in leadership have these qualifications. Because if they don't have them, how do you expect the people to have them? And so it gives down like that. And so that's what this is all about. And in this particular chapter, he's saying, this is what, Timothy, I'm really telling you that you need for pastors and leaders in the church. And that's where we start in this in chapter 3. He said, this saying is trustworthy. In other words, this saying is a good thing. All right? If somebody wants to become a leader in the church, that's a good thing. Is it not a good thing? How many of y'all are glad somebody else is a leader? No, I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? All right, you're next. No, seriously, there's leaders, there's followers. How many of y'all know that you are a follower and you're proud of it? You don't hold any shame? Dude, most of you should be followers. We really are. There's leaders and there's followers. And we got to be in our place, man. Because uh, how many of y'all are leaders? 
What's one of the hardest things for us to do, Ted? It's follow, right? <laughs> you know, because you take charge. You did so awesome on that paddle tour yesterday. I know she stayed way back, so you didn't try to take charge, man. Because you just you submitted and let me take charge. I appreciate that. I, I recognize that maturity in you yesterday. And so, so seriously, man. You know, there's leaders, there's followers. We got to be who God called us to be. But He says it's a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And by the way, only noble people should aspire to be spiritual leaders. And then you should be able to keep that nobility, that you should, you should be noble, and, and you're gonna, he's going to tell us what all these characteristics are in a minute. But take a look at this. If anyone aspires, when's the last time you said, hey, Steve, did you tell your wife that I aspire for some fried chicken? <laughs> I mean, when's the last time he's used the word aspire for you? You know, I, I've given, even heard it out of his mouth other than preaching. Aspire, what does this mean? You know what it means? It means, it means to grab onto something. And it's not talking about necessarily an inward drive. Oh, I aspire to be a movie star or I aspire to be a power. It's not, this word's not talking about primarily an inward thing. It's talking about an inward drive, an inward desire that drives you outwardly. It's actually talking about the outward actions. And again, it's not talking about Zangle. You know, now Zane didn't even do this, man. We almost had to chase him down and beat him with a baseball bat. No, because Zane is very meticulous. Zane does not want to do what God doesn't want him to do. Unlike Seth. No, I'm just Dude, you know better than that. No, that's where they're even opposite, man. You know, you would think the dude who's loud and the dude who's quiet would be. But man, Zane is like, hey, you want to do it? I don't want to pray about this. That's awesome. And a year later. No, I'm just joking. But... <laughs> But that's awesome, the different temperaments, and God can use them both in all of this. But what this word aspire means is that God's motivating you on the inside. And, and it's not that, okay, hey, I've been motivated, so you know what? If you don't ordain me, I'm going to another church that will. Or I'm going to go get one online. I've seen them online ordained. I'm just, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about demanding you're ordained or even making mention you want to be ordained, even though there's nothing wrong with that. What it's saying is that you've got these things going on inside that are undeniable on the outside. You're being driven and, and people look and they see your life and they're just like, wow, you have been taking inward desires and doing things that show that you are a spiritual leader. Again, how many of y'all have seen spiritual leadership in both of these guys and their wives? There's, it's undeniable. And, and that's why I beat you over the head with a baseball bat, Zay. Not that, you know, uh, I don't, <laughs> it's just, it's undeniable what's in your life. And I want to give you the opportunity to use it to the fullest extent. And same thing with you, Seth. Man, I got stories on these guys, but we'll never get done. <laughs> and uh, it's almost time for you to leave. No, I'm just, <laughs> you were telling me you got to leave at 1030. It's not that I'm kicking you out or anything. <laughs> You're like, dude, he's telling her to get out. No. All right. So he said, it's a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires, anyone has inward desires that result in outward motivations, and you look at them and you're like, There's, it's undeniable. It's what they're called to do. It says you desire a good thing. So it's good that you want to be a pastor. In fact, I heard somebody say once, if you're called to be a pastor, bishop, overseer, elder, and I'll talk about those words in a minute, if you're called to that, why would you stoop so low to be a king? Amen. If you were called to be a pastor, why would you stoop so low to be a king? And I'm not saying, oh, we're better than you are. But dude, God says the highest calling. In his word, the highest calling. And it is, is being that pastor, bishop, overseer, elder. And that doesn't mean to lord over. It means you're the lowest. You're the servant. It means God's going to hold you to a higher accountability. But dude, I wouldn't trade what I get to do 
and the way he gets to let me love you guys for anything in this world, any amount of money. When you're called to this, you can't do anything else. Hey, you guys were talking about, you know, your, your mom, you know, she, I, I told her yesterday she had the princess, the queen tour, right, on the paddle boards, and we got to talk a lot, and, and she, I just heard stories of, like, as you guys were walking the night before, and you talking to this person and this person, and, hey, has that ever happened with Zane? Oh, yeah. You guys can't walk anywhere without talking to somebody about the gospel, about trying to help them see life from God's perspective. It's built in you. It's something that it's a good thing. And, and so he says, man, it's a great thing. So don't let anybody tell you. You know, I can't tell you how many mamas I've heard in the past where sons have been called in the ministry. Like, well, son, you ain't going to make no money. You ain't going to be able to take care of your family on that. You ain't going to be able dude. <laughs> You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. And he keeps a lot of the junk away that you don't need because you can't buy it. (laughs) So check this out, man. He said, man, if this is what your desire is, man, it's a good thing. So I want to encourage you. Don't you forget that, that it's a good thing. And so this word overseer that's used in the ESV, I think in the King James, it's maybe bishop. But there are four words that, you know, the new trend now with Reformed theology and so on is elder. There's bishop, pastor, elder, overseer. And although there are some, there's distinct words. Those four ta- uh, titles are used interchangeably because they're all basically the office of a pastor. If you're not called to be a pastor, you're not called to be an elder. You're not called to be an elder. You're not called to be a pastor. It's a bishop. The pastor, elder, overseer. Pastor has more of a shepherding responsibility. Overseer is maybe a little more administrative and so on. Bishop, we've totally messed that one up. <laughs> you know, but we don't even try to use that word anymore because, dude, Zane, stand up, bro. Can you imagine this dude with one of them big old cardinal hats on? <laughs> he would not be able to get anywhere. Now, Seth's like, dude, all right, I think I could rock one of those, right? So he goes on and he said, so therefore, it's just talking about a spiritual leader. The, the spiritual leader that God's going to speak to, who's going to lead by example and be able to make that, this applicable and teach you so you can go out and make disciples. That's what it's talking about here. So therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And that doesn't mean perfect because that would definitely disqualify these guys <laughs> and me and anyone else that decided to preach the gospel. But what it means is someone can't hold on to you. There's nothing holding you back. There's not some little skeleton in the closet. There's not like, you know, somebody's like, oh, you know what, dude? Hey, I got a video of this guy, man, and this, and this, this. The only thing that will hold me back is my driving. I'm just admitting it right now. <laughs> On US 1, especially during snowbird season. I'm just so, no, but, but seriously, it is. It's talking about not being held back. That you, you're, It's all laid out. It's open. And you're above reproach. In other words, bottom line is you're an example of what a Christian believer looks like. If you're not that, you just got to stop right now. And again, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but hey, guys, what do you do when you, does he ever mess up? Yeah, oh yeah, okay, well, that's the thought. Yeah, he messed up. So what do you do when you mess up? Do you like, oh, I hope nobody saw it. Uh, You know, what do you do when you mess up? You fess up, and you ask for forgiveness, and you show people, because how many here have never messed up? Raise your hand. Please do it. Please do it, because that means you just messed up. <laughs> if you mess up, how are you going to know what to do? Well, you can read the Bible, or you can watch your leader. who says, guys, I screwed up. I messed up, man. And we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but I have forgiveness that's on my life. And, and 
and I've confessed and agreed with God, I'm wrong and he's right, no ifs, ands, or buts, and this is how we reconcile our relationship and have a thriving relationship with God. You ever taught anybody that, Zane? Without words, with your lifestyle, absolutely you have. You taught me. So therefore, overseer must be above reproach. Doesn't mean they're perfect. It means that they, they treat it the right way. They don't have a lifestyle of, of sin. If they do, it's corrected. I mean, and we'll talk more about this, but he actually uses the rest of these qualifications to tell us what above or beyond reproach is or above reproach is. First thing is husband and one wife. Oh, well, dude, he's got to be married. This young man's called in the ministry. We got to get him a wife. <laughs> no, that's the way BCF is, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> MRS degree, right? <laughs> Ring by spring, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All this thing. But literally, no, serious. That's not what it means. Oh, that divorce guy, he can't be a, he can't be a power. Or this one, dude, he's a polygamist. No, no, that's not what it's talking about. It says husband of one wife. And you know what this means? It means a one woman man. Now, I'm not going into all those other things I just brought up and, and all of that because there's people vehemently on all these different sides, but I'm going to tell you what it really means. It means to be a one-woman man. It means that that man is in love with one woman, and that's who he is with. He's not with other women on the side. He's not, he's not giving other women honor that he should be giving his wife. He's a one. Charlotte, what's a one-woman man? You, you've taught your husband. Good, dude. That's awesome. Good answer. Yeah, because you've shown him how to be that, right? No, I'm just messing. <laughs> you have. You, you've told him how to be a one-woman man to me, or to you. I'm saying, <laughs> you taught him, dude. I know. If you were ever not a one-woman man, this girl, she was in the military. She'd knock you out. <laughs> but that's what it means. It means that you love your wife. You love the woman you're with. You're not out messing around. You're, you're not, again, giving honor to other women that, that your wife deserves. It doesn't mean I, I love every one of you. And you women that come into this church, I love you, but not like I love my wife. Not any way close to that. But I love you. You're my sisters in Christ, and I do anything for you except stuff I'm supposed to do for my wife. All right? <laughs> And so, again, a one, uh, I, Charlotte, I always have to pick on her because they come dressed. If Seth doesn't get to dress himself first, Charlotte, Charlotte dresses him. Why do you dress him? Tell me. So that everyone will know he belongs to me. Yeah. <laughs> she dresses him so everybody knows he belongs to her. Yeah, is that, dude. Terry's like, oh, dude. <laughs> I see you got the navy blue going on. <laughs> But we look at that as a bad thing in this day and age. Boom, that's slavery. No, this is biblical. We're too united to become one. But we're distinctly different. Strengths and weaknesses. If one is not necessary, if, one, if both of you are the same, one of you is not necessary. We leave Cleveland, we weave together. We share our lives together. And so, again, this guy's got to be an example of what it's like to be a one-woman man. I'll never forget one of the first times that I ever went to a Protestant church. I was raised Catholic, and I was reading. I finally got a Bible at Christmas 87, and I went with my friend to a Protestant church on a Sunday night, and the preacher was preaching on godly women out of the book of one of the Peter books there. And I'm like, this hick from Arkansas, he doesn't know anything. I've been to every bar in town, and there's no godly women like that. And God, bam, that's not where you find them. 
And there was a pristine little singing group in front of me of my age. They were dressed nothing like I was dressed. And not that I had to get dressed to do anything, but they were like totally just different than me. They were clean, dude. I was kind of, well, like I am now. But <laughs> I'm just saying, man, I just remember and I'm like, I just remember looking at their character and knowing mine and knowing where I wanted to go with my life and the things that needed to be eliminated and and I just said, God, if you give me a date with one of them, that'd be a miracle. Less than a year later, I married the very one in front of me. We've been married 29 years. Got two beautiful daughters and a, and a wayward son. No, he's, he's, he's in Alabama, dude. Come on, man. He's a Florida cracker. He needs to be here. No, I'm messing with you. No, but I have three beautiful kids, grandson. And, 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 and again, man, I wouldn't have that if I wasn't a one-woman man. That's some of the benefits of it. I wouldn't trade. Tom, you had said you'd seen a vision in your head of me and my daughters, man, and that broke my, that just crushed my heart in a great way because I'm so blessed. But again, that comes from being that one woman, man. I'll never forget my ordination. W.A. Criswell preached it, and he said, three things that will mess up a pastor, a preacher. He said, love, lust, uh, laziness, and lucre. <laughs> and he was talking about lust. And he's saying, I don't care how ugly you are. If you're a godly man, some woman's going to find you attractive when she doesn't find someone else attractive. And if you don't protect yourself, you'll be guilty. But if you're a one-woman man, then you don't have to worry about that. You invest everything into that and be an example. And so these guys are that. I've seen it in their life. And so a husband of one wife, sober-minded. You know what sober-minded is? It's the opposite of drunk-minded. <laughs> Hey, let me ask you a question. According to the Bible, what is it talk? What, 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 are, what is it? What is it? What is your mind like when you are not sober? Okay, you guys know. What's your mind like when it's not sober? That's the life they came out of. It's lost. It's empty. Is it clear? No, it's not clear. In fact, the Bible even talks about a lot about alcohol. It says when you are drunk, you are either foolish or you are violent. You're foolish or raging. One of the two or both. Yeah. You know, and and so so this isn't talking about drinking this one that comes in later. But this one says sober minded, a sober mind basically can take something that's going on and deal with it right then and there. A sober mind. Have you ever been so frantic and so obsessed with all of the stuff going on in your life and somebody wants help? You're like, I just can't help you. I got to fix me. <laughs> you ever been there, Susie, when your house floods like, you know, uh, you've given it to the Lord, right? And she's never like lost it. She's always sober-minded and will help everybody, right? Even when all that's going on, they'll just shake your head yes, right? Yeah, but seriously, but, but listen, have you ever been so like just kind of preoccupied, your mind so flooded, so confused, so whatever, that you would be no good of helping anybody? He's saying that as a spiritual leader, you got to be sober-minded. You got to be, your mind needs to stay the way it is when it's sober. It needs to be able to deal with whatever's going on at that time. And you need to be able to do that. And it's going to take great faith to be able to live that way. So it isn't talking about drunk. We'll, we'll talk about that later. That's drinking's in there. But it's saying you got to have a clear mind. you got to be able to put stuff away and know that if God has brought someone to you, brought a situation, that you've got to see it from God's perspective and help them see it from God's perspective in a sober, clear way. And so he goes on. He says the next part is self-controlled, okay? And, and in other words, what he's talking about is discipline. You have some discipline in your life. And so um, uh, what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go into the, all the world and make what? Make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and in case you forgot what making disciples is, it's teaching others to what? Obey all that I command. 
Obey whatever he's teaching you. And you know what? As you learn from Christ, what Christ does is he teaches you some boundaries. He says, live within these boundaries. Now, again, it's not slavery, even though we are a slave to Christ, but it's not. It's like he gives us boundaries and says, live within these boundaries, guys. You live within these boundaries and, and everything is good. But you have to have what? What's the D word that you have to have to live within boundaries? Duh. Discipline. Discipline. Hence, you're called a disciple. So if you truly are a disciple of Christ, you live a disciplined life. You're disciplining yourself to the boundaries that God has set up. And there's freedom. And there's bounty in that because he says, seek first. Live within those disciplines. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything you need will be added to you. Within those boundaries he sets up, he will provide everything you need. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, everything you need. And if you're not getting that yourself, how are you going to help someone else get that? Have any of y'all ever had your life out of control and you needed somebody with a sober mind that seemed to think they, that seemed to kind of have some proof that, that things were working out and you needed to talk to them? That's what the spiritual leader is supposed to be. Now, again, we don't have it all under control. <laughs> Ask my family, <laughs> you know, but the fact is, is that we've got to keep pulling it back in to live by those boundaries. And if I don't have it, if Seth doesn't have it, if JJ doesn't have it, if Zane doesn't have it, then how can they lead you to have it when you're in that frantic moment? It's, and has anybody ever needed someone to help them that way? Yeah, we all do. And you know what? When I need someone to help me, guess who I get to call on now? Who do I get to call on now when I need someone? These guys and JJ and other pastors I know. Because that's what the qualification is for this. So sober-minded, self-control. And, and you know what? This word respectable, what does it mean? How many of y'all know somebody you respect? And why do you respect them? Because you look out and you see their lifestyle, at least what you see. And you've actually even seen them in some pressure situation. And there's respect because they are these things right here. And again, these guys right here, and I could point to a number of you guys that I could, so far, that, that follow these qualifications. But these guys, I can testify that these guys are respectable. I know on Zane's job, Zane works at an at a, uh, air conditioning place. He, 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 he works with a lot of young guys. He hires and trains and puts out. He's the boss. You ever have to tell them to do things they don't want to do? You ever have conflict and all of that? Yeah, but you know what? What's, I guarantee you that everybody I've ever met that's worked with Zane, they respect him in that. I know Seth in his secular field and computer industry, he is respected. There's a respect because they have that discipline. They have those things. And again, I'm not telling you to worship them. I'm telling you, these are all things we're supposed to aspire to be and have in our lives. Hospitable. What does hospitable mean? See, what does hospitable mean, man? You're accommodating, exactly. It's, we think hospitable. Well, dude, you ought to be able to throw some parties, man. You, ought, you know, for all of us, I'm hospitable, so we have, that's part of it. But actually, when Paul was teaching Timothy, he said, look, man, there's a lot of Christians being persecuted right now. So there's a lot of Christians wandering around. There's a lot of pastors that God is moving because they're getting ready to be killed, and he doesn't want them dead yet, so he's moving them. And you're going to meet a lot of strangers that are believers that need you to take care of them. And that's technically what he's talking about. I need you to take care of these other believers who you don't know while they're here. Be hospitable. And that means, so the way we translate it today is that means to be available. 
It means to be available, not to be aloof. Oh, I'm the pastor. i got to study. We'll let somebody else do it. You know, I'm, a, I'm with God. I can't be with you. No. That's just the opposite. You spend time with God. And this is true for all of us. You spend time with God while men are asleep so you can spend time with men while, God, while men are awake. That's what, that's what this hospitable is talking about. This is true for all of us, man. You know, we're supposed to be available. If someone needs to see life from God's perspective, Tom, who should they be able to come to? That don't mean you chase them around. You got a baseball bat called God's perspective. You know, boom, what? You know, that, that's how it is. But somebody comes to you and you're like, Tom, man, you know, I've seen some things in your life recently. Man, you know what? You're, you're one of those God where, hey, John, can you tell me about God? You're available. No, I can't do that. I'm just, you know, I'm too busy. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, you got to be available and be welcoming and be loving, and especially to strangers in this. But here's the, those are all moral qualifications. But this last one is actually, not the last one, this next one is uh, actually the one gift that's different than most people who are in a church. All these other things, every one of us is supposed to be, right? But this next one is you're supposed to be able to teach. A teacher, I, I told Seth this when I first met him, um, that a theologian takes incredibly simple things and makes them incredibly hard. <laughs> but a teacher takes incredibly hard things and is able to make them incredibly simple. And that's what our job is to teach. we got to know the theology. But, dude, you know what? If somebody walks out and wow, that was awesome. Well, how do you apply it? I don't know. <laughs> it just sounded cool. No, you should be able to walk out of being with a spiritual leader and have something to apply to your life. And so he's got to be, a, he's got to have a gift. Of, how many of you do not have the gift of teaching? Let me see your hand. You know you do not have the gift of teaching. Yeah. You have the gift of, of silently praying. <laughs> very good. You're awesome at that, man. And, and uh, yeah, we have different gifts. So again, this is the difference. Uh, how many would vouch, uh, would vouch for Seth that Seth has the gift of teaching? Yeah, dude. I, I can't wait for a small group. If they don't show up for one of them during the week, I'm like, no, dude. Both of them. I'm like missing what I'm going to hear from them, man. Every time you miss, you rip me off. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> like, seriously, they both have, a, they have this gift to be able to teach things in a different way than, than Zane and Christy have. How many of y'all have been taught by, by, by Zane and Christy? Yeah. Christy's like, well, you taught yourself. You were going to raise your hand, weren't you? Yeah, dude. You are, the, you are the anchor that keeps that prop from running the ground, girl. <laughs> so, so again, there's that gift that we're testifying to today in that. Super quick, got a couple more. Here's the one about drinking, not a drunkard. You're like, well, God, you know, right now that's a popular topic. Christians drinking. The Bible doesn't say I can't. No, it doesn't say you can't drink, but it does say you can't get drunk. And if you're anything like me, who doesn't have moderation in your life, I'm all extreme. I did not know when the next drop, the next milliliter was going to make me drunk. And I couldn't do it. And let me ask you a question. When any of you have ever called me at all hours of the night, which I love to be in that position to be able to love you and help you see life from God's perspective. But what if you called me in the middle of the night and I was trashed? Would I be able to help you? Would you still have respect for me? Would you still love me? You still love me. Come on. But you would never call me again. I was not available. I was not available in that. And so, you know, in that, it, it, the Bible does say 
Uh, let me just clear this whole thing about wine up and stuff. Because uh, Paul even told Timothy, Timothy, drink a little wine. Your stomach's upset. Well, here's what the gig was. He was in Haiti drinking water out of a mud puddle. <laughs> uh, but basically, the water there, in fact, Seth, you were telling us that even to this day, they call any drinkable water in Israel what? Living water. Living water. Thank you for speaking up. Yes, man. <laughs> Living water. Because it's such a valuable commodity. Because most water is not livable. It's not drinkable. And so when they would have that, you know, water that wasn't kind of, you know, with a little bit of alcohol in it to purify it, it upset their stomach. There were bacteria. There were things that alcohol killed. So most people drank what was called wine. And in order to get drunk off that junk, you had to drink gallons, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. And then they had things called strong drink. And again, I'm not preaching on all this today, but I'm just saying that for a spiritual leader, if you, do you guys uh, think the spiritual leader is only available 9 to 5? And Seth's night shift and Zane is day shift, right? So if you have trouble between these hours, call him. And JJ, he's on call all the time, so just call him. And he, now, it doesn't work that way. Hey, when are you going to allow your leader to get drunk and not be able to deal with your serious spiritual need? That's what I'm saying. Now think about you in that situation where you've been witnessing to somebody. You've been sharing the gospel. You've been helping somebody find, see life from God's perspective. And man, they, you, you're like, Pastor, keep praying for this lady. Keep praying for this guy. Man, they're just, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden now, the Holy Spirit works on them about 2 o'clock in the morning when you're coming home. And they're like, hey, man. You know what? I just woke up and God's just, you know, oh, I can't help you right now. Call me in the morning. You know, dude, no. Again, I'm not telling you what to do, but I personally, as a leader, I want to be available. I want to be there. And so he says specifically for leaders, they can't be drunk. They can't be drunkards. He says not violent, but gentle. In other words, you know, uh, Zane, Zane's got some, Zane's got a little power, a little ability here. And it's like, hey, if you die today, are you going to heaven? You're, no, I'm not. Well, if you give your life to Jesus Christ, well, I don't want to give it. What do you mean you don't want to give your life? <laughs> I mean, he could put you in a holy headlock, could he not? <laughs> and you would just be like, yes, let me breathe. I gave my life to Christ. And then you're like, no, dude, I don't want anything to do. But what he's really saying is spiritual leaders solve problems differently or, or, or solve problems the same way as any spiritual person. And it's not with violence, but it's gentle. We have the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. And all the arrested versions of that love. And we have a Holy Spirit so we can solve things. Now, there's a world difference between um, self-defense and being violent, okay? And we can talk about that another day, okay? And, uh, but he says we don't solve things by violence, the spiritual leader, of, uh, at all costs, is going to try to solve things in a gentle way. The way the Holy Spirit, gentleness, isn't that a fruit of the Spirit? You know, in some versions, <laughs> gentleness. And, and again, so what's the next word? Not what? Quarrelsome? Anybody ever met a believer who is quarrelsome? You ever met a believer who uh, is a lawyer and not a witness? <laughs> a believer who wants to argue a case and prove you wrong? That's not the way we do it. And, and a spiritual leader is supposed to help you be able to do it. And if they aren't doing it that way, how can they help you do it? So you're not, the, the spiritual leader is not supposed to be a quarrelsome person. Zane, 
You have disagreements at work with your guys? Are you arguing with them? No. No. You're fired. See ya. No, I'm just <laughs> But you got to find a better way. If you've got a big God living inside you, there's a better way. And you've got to seek God's way to solve things. Gary, was there a day where you, just, where you either solved it by violence or quarreling? Yeah, there was. And, and is that how you do it now? No, because you're a spiritual man. And that's the way we're all supposed to be doing this. And then look at this last part. I wish this was the King James in this because it says, not a lover of, the King James uses filthy lucre. Doesn't that just sound bad? Anybody know what lucre is? Anybody, how many of you have never in your life heard the word lucre before today? Yeah, lucre. That's just like, like a luger or something. I mean, it's like, lucre is an old English word for money. And, and you know, you start Paul say, you know, that it's not money that's bad. It's the love of money. It's like any other idol. If you love money more than you love God, then that becomes your motivation. And if a minister, a pastor, a bishop, an overseer, if someone in a spiritual position is doing it for money, it ain't going to work. Well, it might work for them, but it ain't going to work in the end. It's not going to work for the people with them. Because your motivation is not going to be money. It's got to be love. It's got to be to glorify God. It's got to be to help them people see life from God's perspective. And so, again, he said that spiritual leader cannot be a lover of money. He goes on and he talks about a household. He must manage his own household well. Uh, hey, Charlotte, how's uh, Seth doing with you and the four dogs yeah. right now? Yeah, that's what your household is right now, right? You know, and at this point, I know you grew up in a household, but you got to have Christ. You got Christ now. You got better equipment. You got better tools. He's still got the same love, man, but he's got better tools now. He's got the tools of Christ. And so, so man, you know, if you look and see how somebody is managing their household, being full of the spirit, yeah, you guys got chaos, right? You got little kids, man. <laughs> so, but again, y'all love each other. And you know what? I, the coolest thing about y'all's kids, man, when I see them, I don't care if I have, how, how long ago have I seen them, the first thing that their kids do when their kids growing up here or see me is do what, man? They come and give me a hug, man. And it's just like, oh, it's, it's awesome. There's love in that household. There's some discipline, but there's some love, you know? It's in there. And so, so again, what he's saying is if you can't manage your house, how in the world are you going to manage the house of God? He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Again, that word submission. Yeah, Terry, you're all about that, right? Those three girls, man, submission. But that word submission is actually a military term, and it means to line up underneath somebody in charge and do everything in your power to make them a success. What a cool household if your kids line up underneath you for the most part and do everything in their power to make a success. I want to thank my girls publicly for doing that. And my son, too. They've done that in our house. And, and that's probably my wife's fault, not mine. But, but, <laughs> but literally, you know, and the Bible says, husband, you know, wife, submit to your husband, children to your... But it says we're all supposed to submit to each other. We're all supposed to do everything in our power to make each other a success. And so, he's, again, he's saying, if you can't do this in your own household, how are you going to do this in the church when that's what the church is characterized by? Man, you know, uh, Shay, wouldn't it be awesome? And maybe it is. I think it probably is. If every, every time you look at Jared, you know everything Jared's about is making you a success. You know? 
Not trying to make you a failure, because I, I know husbands and wives that beat each other down and make, try to make each other fail and feel superior, but what if in a marriage, man, and, and what, if, what if you come home from work and you know everything she's done is to make you a success? How is that? Is that not awesome? That's what it's supposed to be with each other. But, you gotta, but the leader is supposed to be an example of that. And so he goes on, he says, if someone doesn't know how to manage their own household, how will they care for God's church? Good question. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So a recent convert. Um, how many of y'all used to know everything? <laughs> Anybody? Do you remember when you used to know everything? Uh, there's a little like plaque that I used to think of. Uh, I saw it. It used to be a meme, and it said, Teenager, move out now. Get your own job. Do it all while you still know everything. <laughs> hey, Shelby, how's that going? Was there a day when you knew everything? Yeah, what about now? Yeah, the, I mean, y'all, the older you get, the less you realize you know. And the more humble you become and dependent upon God. And again, so nothing worse than some preacher that thinks he knows everything, right? Especially if you're a young whoopersnapper and you don't. No, I'm just messing with you. It could be an old dude, but honestly, life's dynamic and we're learning all the time. Every situation is dynamic. And we're asking God, what do you want me to do now? And we're doing it and we're learning from him. So there's nothing worse than you thinking you know everything. Hey, what's the P word for somebody who knows, thinks they know everything? P-R-I. What's the word? Pride. Pride. Yeah. Someone who's prideful. And, and how many of y'all know somebody who's prideful and thinks they know everything? How many of y'all call them when you really need to know something? <laughs> no. That's the last person you're going to call, right? Yeah, because you're like, ah, oh, dude, no, I don't even want. I want to know, I'm going to look at Wikipedia before I call them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he's like, man, so what happens to that person who thinks they know everything? We're constantly growing. Seth, have you grown in the last year? Absolutely. The last six months. How about you, Zane? Yeah, how about you, Steve? How about you, Roger? Yeah, who, Gary, you grown? Tom, if you, man, we, we're growing if our relationship with Christ is dynamic. And we're finding out we don't need to know everything. All we need to know is the one who does. <laughs> How many of y'all know him? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he'll tell you. He told us in John 14, 26, he'd send the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the comfort, or the paraclete that walks alongside us is to teach us everything we need to know. And bring to remembrance everything he's already taught us. How many of y'all are glad for that remembrance part? <laughs> Chris, you good with that, man? You forgot some things in the past? <laughs> so, man, that's why he's saying, don't ordain a recent convert that thinks they know everything. Or he may be puffed up with his pride and conceit. Uh, uh, dude, I had this guy, a friend of mine, Joe Bernier, growing up. And I've told this story, so I'm not betraying confidence. Joe Bernier was my best friend growing up. And Joe Bernier was this shy kid, but dude, he was athletic. He was tall. He was, he was handsome. He was a good guy. And I just got so sick of him being like, oh, nobody likes me. I'm like so, you know, you, have that. you ever know people with that? It's like, well, nobody likes you because you're an Eeyore. <laughs> it's like, nobody, dude, you're like that dude on the Flintstones with the black cloud, man. Who wants to be under that? And I'm like, Joe, you're handsome. Joe, you're strong. Joe, you're athletic. And I created a monster. All of a sudden, he's like, I am, I am, yeah. And I'm like, then I'm saying, Joe, you're conceited. And I'll never forget one time he told me, I'm not conceited. I was like, yes, you are. Everybody says you're conceited. Yeah, like, I'm not conceited because he said, you look it up in the dictionary, conceit is when you think you're something you're not. And I'm all of this. I'm like, okay. I'm done. I'm done. 
But that's what he says. He said, don't ordain, don't give someone a position of honor and leadership if they still think they know everything, man, because guess what's going to happen? They're going to fall into the same condemnation of the devil. What got devil kicked out of heaven? Pride. Pride. You know, he's bigger than God, just thought he was equal with God. Now, God's word says this, Tom, but I personally, through my experience, say, no. And it takes a little bit of maturity. Carl, does it take a little maturity to understand you don't know everything, man? Carl, you're still learning, aren't you? And you know a lot. <laughs> I love this man in small group. He's like, yeah, I don't even know when you have time to listen and study and do all. I'm just like, whoa, keep speaking, telling me what you're learning. Because he's constantly learning. So he said, man, don't ordain somebody who's a recent convert or they're going to get sucked. It won't be long before somebody puffs them up with pride and knocks them way down. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Here's the concept of spiritual leadership. Before we convinced everybody, they had to come to one building. And this is where they met God. It was called the parson mentality. There was a parson. And, and this is even what people would do is there was a guy who would walk around town. He would walk around areas. This, he would walk around and, and, and he would share spiritual things with people that wanted to know him. He'd ask him, can I pray with you and so on. And it got, he would do it on a regular basis. And people are like, oh, yeah, dude, there's that spiritual guy. Hey, ask him that question. And then ask him that question. And all of a sudden, everybody who needed any spiritual advice would see and ask this guy who was walking around this little section of town. And they waited for him. That was his reputation. That's who he was. And so, um, so you know, they didn't always agree with it. And a bunch of times there were probably people saying, ah, yeah, you know, he's going to tell them. And then weeks later when something came in their life, then they wanted to talk to the guy. But he had a reputation. Even if they didn't agree with what he was saying in the gospel, they still respected him because they knew that he stood for what he believed and he practiced what he preached. They knew that he was consistent in what he was telling people. And it wasn't until they had a felt need for that, something they didn't have the answer to, that they would actually come to him. And that's what he's talking about. Man, they must be well thought of by outsiders. It don't mean, hey, you guys ever come up with somebody uh, who, who doesn't agree with your theology? <laughs> Ever in Jensen Beach, what do you mean? Walking over the bridge and through the mangroves, they don't all agree with your theology? Yeah, how about you out in your world, man? You're not outspoken by any chance, are you? And, you know, speak up. They don't know you're what, 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 you're, what, what you think about and how you believe, do they? Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> and is everybody agreeable? But do they respect you? They do. Because they hear the same thing over. They see the consistency. And when some people who have been disagreeing for years come against obstacles they have no solutions for. And they are at rock bottom. They have, what all of their resources aren't working, they might just give you a shot and say, dude, <laughs> what do you have to say about it? And we don't point them to us, but who do we point people to? To Christ. I don't know everything, but I know the one that does. I can't do everything, but I know the one that does. I can't be everywhere, but I know the one that, that is. And that's him. But they got to see it in your lifestyle. And let me ask you a question. If you point them to God, Brandon, you got to worry about, oh, God, I just put my, my reputation on. I hope God doesn't let me down. <laughs> no, you point them to God. Is that going to work? All the time? Yeah, God never fails. Yeah, are you on the hook? Are, do you have to help God and make it work? No. It's pretty cool. You just point them to God and, and you walk them through it. And you help them because you know God works because he's worked in your life. 
So he said, man, don't ordain somebody who, uh, or I'm sorry, more of this guy must be well thought uh, of, thought of by the outsider. So that's people not in the church, not in the body of believers, not in the family, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I will tell you that in, I got ordained in 1992, I want to say, year you were born. I don't know how many years ago that was, but I will say the number one hindrance that I have seen to the gospel is a bad testimony by spiritual leaders. That's probably been the hardest thing to deal with. Now, if the Holy Spirit's working in somebody's life, they overlook all that. But the number one excuse when I start sharing, well, what about Jimmy Swagger? What about Jimmy Baker? What about this? You know, I could go through the whole list of whoever. And it's a lack of integrity. But it's not just with spiritual leaders. It's with spiritual people. Spiritual leaders are just supposed to model what everyone else is supposed to do. Your teaching is not credible if you're not modeling it. And that includes forgiveness when you mess up. So he goes on. Well, he doesn't go on, but I am. Eleven, oh three. but we're closing this, bringing this to a close. And, and there is still food afterwards, right? Okay, all right. I just don't see it out there right now. Okay, good, good, good. Oh, at 11.30, okay. So, I'm not going to 11.30. I'm finishing it up right now, all right? But listen, um, so here's, my, here's, here's, here's what I'm sharing with you guys right now today. This is our purpose. If you believe that these two guys um, have this call on their life, that they meet these qualifications, you know, that we're here. They're not perfect, but their lifestyle represents these qualifications. And they have that gift of, of preaching, that gift of teaching in their lives. Then I want to ask you to join me as we pray for them. And I want you to sign their ordination certificate. Um, just so it kind of looks good later, I'm just going to give you. Um, uh, we made it kind of vertical, and so that there's plenty of room for people to sign. If we do run out of space here, do y'all care if they sign all over the place, man? And uh, but yeah, just try to sign right here because hopefully we're going to get these framed and have it for them. It's a special thing. But man, I want you guys. If you've seen the gift, you know you've witnessed the gift, and you know that they meet the qualifications, man. They'd be honored to have you sign this. Would you not? And to validate that. And I know that there's times in my life, like sometimes Monday mornings, a lot of days, I wake up and I'm looking, thinking, God, you're done with me. God, I can't preach under two hours. No, I'm just like, no, God, you're, no, no, God, I just blessed that up. God, I did that with that person or whatever. I just, you know, things. And, and then I look at my ordination certificate and I look at all the signatures that validated and it crushes everything the devil's trying to tell me in my head at that point in time. So your signature, if you really mean it, if you agree with this, is very important and it will have everlasting effects in their life when they look on that. So what I'm going to have them do and, um, is this. Uh, in fact, uh, see, don't grab a couple more chairs for me. And uh, just those other two. Um, I'm going to have, uh, how about we have uh, Zane and Christy right over here. And uh, I was just going to have you guys like kneel on the hard terrazzo floor. <laughs> But I thought that was a little Spartan, man, and I'm just messing with you. But, uh, but really, I would, uh, and Seth and Charlotte, would you guys come up here? And, uh, and what I'd like you to do, um, I'm going to have a time of prayer. Band's gonna, Tom's going to noodle on the guitar, man.
Did you know you were going to noodle on a guitar? But, but you are noodle worthy, right? You have that gift. All right. So uh, anyways, and, and you can help noodle with the keyboard. But anyways, we're going to pray. And then I'm going to invite you. Um, you don't have to touch them because Charlotte probably doesn't like you touching her hair. <laughs> That'd be like me touching Emily's feet. <laughs> Now, Seth, he doesn't care, <laughs> but in the, in the New Testament, what they did was they laid hands on people, and Christy's like, dude, I'm going to so take a bath when I get home. No, I'm just, no, none of that, but literally, uh, you don't have to, but you can gently put your hand on You do whatever you want. I mean, you put them in a holy headlock. Uh, see if they still meet the qualifications, but that's not that's important. What I want you to do is I'd love for you just to kind of come by and pray, and if, you know, somebody's on this person for a long time, pray for that one. Just, just make your way around and pray for these guys. You can do it from your seat. Um, you can do it back here. You don't even have, you can do it from this far away if you don't want to touch them. So, <laughs> I'm just saying, but it just, uh, your prayer is you validating that you believe that they have, meet the qualifications and have this calling, and then I would encourage you to come up here, and JJ, oh, no, there's a pen right here. All right, so you don't even have to bring your own pen. You're good right here. JJ takes care of it all. <laughs> and uh, all right, so uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of, of being able to ordain these two young men, their families, to the gospel ministry. Um, it's not that we get to do anything, it's, uh, you know, to make them that. You've already made them that. And all the different places where they have served and people that have invested in their lives. Um, Father, we just get the fruit of it. We get to pick the fruit. There's been so many people growing and fertilizing through prayer and teaching and mentoring. And um, thank you for letting us get to pick the fruit and be able to actually do this ordination. Uh, thank you for our, our whole church family getting to see you call people into this thriving, alive gospel ministry. And know that Jesus still saves. He's doing the greatest miracle ever of taking spiritually dead people and making them alive. And he's not getting ready to end that. He's actually right in the middle of it. And that's why you're still calling people. I pray if there's somebody here that has this calling on their life. Even if it was a calling man they got when they were 11 years old. And they have blown it off and chased other things. Today, Father, I pray you would renew that calling in their life. But for all of us, I pray that we would all try to meet those qualifications. Because that's all a leader is, is someone who's supposed to show us what they look like. And we're all leaders in some way to somebody. So help us all show each other those qualifications. And Father, um, it's a beautiful thing to watch the church validate this calling.